For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, which are big names for a tiny little baby, aren't they? For Isaiah's original audience, though, they would have made perfect sense. In the ancient world, kings were viewed almost as divine. They were just one small step below God, it was thought. But undoubtedly, kings were in God's image, unlike the rest of us. The king was the image bearer of God, it was thought. Below the kings were members of their court and then priests, Beneath them, the artisans and the craftspeople. At the very bottom were peasants and servants. It's like how most of us board a plane. Think about it. Uh, We have to walk through first class, right? With their lush lounge chairs reclined, sipping on champagne from like real live actual glasses. Have you ever seen this before? (laughs) We walk through business class, or now as it's called, comfort, right? With their fancy room for all their elbows and knees. After shimming down that eight-inch aisle, we find our minuscule seat alongside our other fellow commoners in that fancy aluminum tube. Remember, these words, these words Isaiah writes, 700 years before the birth of Christ, these words about a child born, about a son given, they were originally penned not as a prophecy looking forward, but rather as history looking back. Notice the phrasing, unto us a child is born. It has occurred. Unto us a son is given. It's already happened. Isaiah 9 probably first announced the birth of Hezekiah, the royal prince. Or it perhaps celebrated the coronation of a new king. It was cause for celebration, especially in a season of discouragement and despair. You may recall um, this time of Isaiah's writing was a time of deep darkness and discouragement for God's people when they faced an impending attack from the Assyrians. And so Isaiah speaks of difficulty and darkness that surrounds the people. But instead of turning to God, he says, God's people rely on mediums and magicians. And when that doesn't work, he says, they will look toward the earth and they'll see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom. Distress, darkness, fearful gloom. It's not exactly the verse that we want to use on the front of our Christmas cards, is it? No. See, there's fear and anxiety over the Assyrians' attack. And on top of that, there is darkness and despair for God's people not turning to God in their time of need. So it's no wonder that God's people feel a great sense of hope and joy at the promise of a wonderful counselor, of a mighty God. It's no wonder that by the time Isaiah's people would turn to chapter 9, they would feel a great sense of relief. The Hebrew word for mighty God is El Gibor. El Gibor. El is the word for God. Gibor meaning strong and brave and mighty. The people are thinking, at long last, a leader. At long last, someone with uncommon courage, unparalleled power. At long last, a king who can finally fulfill all of those stump speeches and political promises. At last, we can be assured victory against our enemies. Success in the economy, productivity in agriculture, justice throughout society. At last, 
Isn't this what we look for? Isn't this what we long for in our leaders? And yet, they never quite poll at 100%, do they? They never quite meet all of those expectations we had for them. We're never fully pleased with their performance. And so, whoever wrote these, whoever these words were first about, all these promises and predictions, all of the possibilities and potential, ultimately, they come to nothing. We don't know who these words were originally written about. We don't know who Isaiah was telling us about who had been born. It has been lost to history. For unto us a child is born, a son is given, but we're not sure who it was. Because it all came to naught. Now perhaps some of us are there this Christmas. Perhaps some of us had high hopes. Perhaps some of us had dared to dream for a new kind of life this year. One that was happy and healthy and whole. But as we near the end of the year, we feel disappointed and discouraged. We feel like we're left holding the bag. The El Gabor in which we'd hoped was not to be. And perhaps that's where you're at this season. It's a season of despair and darkness. And so all those promises and potential feel a long way off. And yet, and yet, the earliest followers of Jesus opened their Bibles and looked back to Isaiah chapter 9, and they were convinced. They were convinced that it was not only history written about someone whose name has been lost, but they were convinced that it was also prophecy. That these words, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and his name shall be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The earliest followers of Jesus not only looked back, they looked forward. Not only to a baby born in 700 BC, they were convinced that these words actually looked ahead, actually pointed forward. They looked back not to an El Gibor who sat in first class like a king at the top of humanity's hierarchy. No, they were convinced that these words also looked forward to a baby born at the bottom. We may know these words well from the third scene in Handel's Messiah, but long before Baroque oratorios, they were a prophecy. They were pointing ahead to the true El Gibor. This week, one of uh, members of our congregation told me a story. He said, uh, he said there was once um, young kids in class at school, and, and their teacher needed a little five-minute break. If you've ever been a teacher like I have, you know how true that can be. You just need a brief moment to catch your breath. So this teacher handed out some blank pieces of paper that she had on her desk and, and a bunch of crayons. Here, everybody, just draw a picture for a few moments. She walked around checking on what the students were drawing. One little girl was drawing a pony. Across the table, a little boy was drawing a dinosaur. And then another little girl was hard at work, but the teacher couldn't really tell what it was that she was trying to put on the paper with her crayon. She had all the colors in front of her and her hands laid out as she was drawing meticulously. What are you drawing, sweetie? The teacher asked. Well, I'm drawing a picture of God. Oh, wow, the teacher replied. But, um, sweetie, I'm afraid no one knows what God looks like. The little girl paused and looked up at her teacher with big blue eyes and a bright smile and she replied, well, you're about to. <laughs> and that's what Isaiah says to us. You're about to. No one knows what God looks like, but you're about to. 
See, that true El Gabor comes to us not in first class at the height of the hierarchy of humanity. The true El Gabor comes to us as a baby at the bottom, at the lowest, below the priests and the artisans and the craftsmen, as a peasant, as a servant in a stable. That's where we find our Savior. And we see it throughout the gospel accounts that this baby, though born at the bottom, though a servant in the stable, was the true El Gabor, was the true mighty God in the flesh. Think of all those moments throughout the gospels. Think of all those moments on that Saturday in the synagogue where he preaches with authority. And the people are amazed. Then he heals a man with an unclean spirit, and the people are astonished. Not long after, Jesus heals the paralytic lowered in from the roof. Then he forgives his sins. And and so then we can add, not only are they amazed, not only are they astonished, now the religious people are angry. Now why would they be so angry? Because only God can forgive. Only God can heal. Jesus multiplies the loaves and the fishes. Jesus calms the wind and the waves. And what does Mark say that the disciples ask each other when that happens? Jesus calms the wind and the waves, and the disciples were terrified, and they asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Who is this? It's El Gibor. It's mighty God. Around this time of year, at Christmas and Easter, without fail, you'll see um, special news reports on your newsstands, checking out at the grocery store. Um, You used to see them on all the cable news networks. Um, Now they're even on the streaming services, I just noticed on Friday night. And and these programs with with scholars will ask really big questions like, who is Jesus? And they'll ask these questions and they'll actually engage the, the early stories about Jesus, the earliest parts of his life, that baby born in the bottom in Bethlehem, and they'll say, who really was he? And they'll ask a lot of people's opinions on this, who was Jesus? And, and the problem with some of these documentaries, with some of these, with some of these programs, with some of these articles, the problem is they'll take a couple of verses and they'll talk about the baby, but they won't talk about the rest of his life. They won't talk about that Saturday in the synagogue. They won't talk about when those four guys broke Jesus' roof. They won't talk about that time where the wind and the waves were piling over the boat and Jesus calmed them. And the disciples would ask, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Who is this Jesus? He is El Gabor. He is mighty God. See, the disciples had been grown so accustomed to power coming alongside uh, pomp and prestige. But in Jesus, power comes within the poor peasant. Big names in a tiny little baby. This Christmas, let's remember that Jesus doesn't stay in the stable, that Jesus doesn't remain in the manger, that Jesus is the mighty God. Jesus is the one who calms the chaos of the wind and the waves. Jesus is the one who brings healing and wholeness, the one who forgives all our sins, despite how angry it makes all the religious people. He forgives our sins because he's the only one that can. Jesus is the one who multiplies loaves and fishes for no other reason than the people were hungry. There's a a movie that I want to tell you about for a brief moment, and I hope it doesn't cost me my job. It's very silly. 
It's by an actor named Will Ferrell, came out years ago, and, and Will Ferrell plays a race car driver. If you've seen this movie, um, you know which one I'm talking about, but I'm not even going to tell you the name because I don't want you to Google it. But let me describe a scene for you. It's a comedy film, but one scene is, is really instructive, and it's really um, applicable to Christmas. In this scene, the main character is saying a prayer before the bountiful harvest of Domino's, KFC, and the always delicious Taco Bell. And he directs his prayer to dear Lord baby Jesus with his golden fleece diapers. Like I said, it's a little bit offensive. Now, this doesn't sit well with his wife. She interrupts his prayer. She says, excuse me, sweetie, um, Jesus did grow up. You don't always have to call him baby. It's a bit odd and off-putting to pray to a baby. And he says, well, I like the Christmas Jesus the best. And I'm saying grace. When you say grace, you can say it to grown-up Jesus or teenage Jesus or bearded Jesus or whoever you want. I like baby version the best. Now, this leads to other characters sharing which Jesus they like best, which includes Jesus wearing a tuxedo t-shirt, which is like, you know, when you want to look formal, but you're also there to have a good time. It also leads to others saying that their favorite Jesus would be Jesus as if he were a lead singer in a rock and roll band. Like I said, fairly inappropriate, a tad offensive. Don't go Google it. And yet I tell you that because I'm convinced that that scene, while trying to push the envelope and be really silly, maybe even offensive, I think that scene is almost prophetic. That it actually tells us something about our culture, because we all love baby Jesus, don't we? We all love the baby born in Bethlehem. This baby Jesus is so popular around the world. We like Christmas Jesus the best. And here's why. I think there's something within our human hearts that loves the promises and the potential of the baby born in Bethlehem, but at some point, we also want to keep him there. We also want to keep that baby in Bethlehem because in some small way, we are all like King Herod. Remember King Herod's response when the Magi are looking for the king born in Bethlehem, and he says, king? What king? He is angered at the assertion that there was another king. He is angered that they might believe that there is another mighty God, someone else who would rival his authority and his power. And this Christmas, perhaps we should ask ourselves, this Christmas, as we celebrate that baby born in Bethlehem, not at the heights of humanity's hierarchy, but at the lowest point, the servant in the stable, perhaps this Christmas we should pause and ask ourselves, how we can better surrender our lives to the good news of the newborn king. To the one who does not stay in the stable, who does not remain in the manger. Because true openness to Jesus will cause us to act like him, those who met him first. True openness to Jesus will cause us to act like those who met him first. Think about it. When people met Jesus, they were amazed. When people met Jesus, they were astonished. When people met Jesus, they were even a little bit angry. See, the baby doesn't remain in Bethlehem, doesn't stay in the stable, doesn't remain in the manger. Because Jesus is the true king, the El Gibor, the mighty God, the one who shows us what God looks like. As I reflected on this title for Jesus this week, Mighty God, 
Uh, One passage kept coming to my mind over and over. I kept hearing these words from the scriptures. And I don't remember anyone mentioning it to me. I don't remember reading it in any books. I don't remember hearing it on any TV station. Over and over, I kept hearing these verses again over and over play in my mind. As I think about the world in which we live this Christmas season, I kept hearing these words from James chapter 4. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from the desires that battle within you? You want something but don't get it. You kill and you covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight, but you do not have because you do not ask God. That's the line that kept repeating over and over in my mind this week. You do not have because you do not ask God. And I realized that somewhere within my heart, I had been like that character in that movie, praying that prayer. There's some part of me that loves baby Jesus, but wants to keep him in Bethlehem. That doesn't want him to be mighty God, to be the king of my life, because I still want to retain some sense of control. I do not have because I do not ask God. I still want to retain some sense of control. And yet, this Christmas season, perhaps we should pause for a moment and ask God, what is it that we most need this Christmas season? What is it that we most need after the two years that we have been through? How can the mighty God meet us in the midst of whatever it is that we're carrying? Because that mighty God, though born as a baby, A servant in a stable, that mighty God grew up and calms the wind and the waves, feeds the multitudes, forgives our sins. You do not have because you do not ask God. You do not have because you do not ask. What do you need to ask God for this Christmas season? What elements of self-sufficiency have you been carrying within yourself, continuing to keep yourself on the throne of your own life? For what do you need to ask God this Christmas? If we truly met this Jesus, and not only this Jesus as a baby born in Bethlehem, but if we truly met this Jesus, the one who shows us what God really looks like, we would be amazed, we would be astonished, we might even be angered, because he would demand that we would bow down to him as Lord and Savior of all. May we be amazed, may we be astonished, may we even be angered, but may we not be apathetic this Christmas. May we meet this Jesus as mighty God, everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. God, as we come to the table this morning, we recognize that in each of us there are little parts of our own heart that are like King Herod, that want to retain control of our life. And yet we confess to you, And we ask that you would meet us in those parts. God, that we would invite you into those areas and that we would ask you for what we most need. God, would you be mighty God for us this Christmas season? The everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, the wonderful Counselor who meets us where we're at but is not content to allow us to stay there. God, would we celebrate this Christmas? Would we celebrate that you loved us enough to come and to take on human flesh, to live amongst us, to reveal your kingdom in its fullness for us? It's in your name, and for the sake of that kingdom we pray. Amen.